Hi, this is Abigail Manning, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 141 of Chasing Dreams. Today's episode is sponsored by our Patreon campaign supporters. Thanks to all of you for supporting my mission to inspire, equip, and empower people to chase their dreams. For more information on our Patreon campaign, and or if you'd like to donate yourself a dollar a month or more to help keep the show going, you can learn more at amyj21.com slash Patreon. In honor and continued recognition of Mental Health Awareness Month, I brought on another expert for you guys, and I am stoked about this conversation. Everything happens so naturally. Um, how we how we met was through a referral, and I'm so grateful to Lisa for for bringing Abigail to our attention and just kind of making that connection. And that's what's awesome about this is it fit. It fit. She came and I was looking for someone for Mental Health Awareness Month and she was here. And so we're going to talk mental health. We're going to talk abuse and we're going to talk about how that is prevalent in society and how while you may not think it applies to you, it can have a ripple effect on the people around you and that in a turn will affect you. So anyway, we'll talk about that more in detail. But I want to introduce to you our expert, Abigail Manning. She is creating awareness on authentic health, which prevents and ends all forms of abuse. Combining five years of abuse research, Indiana University Communications double major in cognitive, social and behavior theories, and her own personal experience with childhood abuse and domestic violence, she provides unique and transformative workshops and speeches that truly empower others. And she's on the show today to kind of talk about that. And I'm stoked. So without further ado, here it is. Hey, Abigail, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing, Amy? I am well this evening. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the show and just talk some mental health. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show and caring about mental health and having these types of conversations. So I got to admit, it's not a conversation that I would have had probably two years ago or realized that how important it was. I always thought because... I don't know, that I, I didn't even recognize signs or that, you know, we never talked about it. So I figured it wasn't something for me. And right. I, I don't know if a lot of people have that thought as well. I mean, that's what I thought. And then I realized when people around me in my own community were depressed and didn't get help or depressed and were getting help, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on now. This could be anybody and looking back on my family history or just family and friends, I realized more and more people were affected by mental health issues or um, symptoms and just didn't realize it or never sought help and probably struggled to get through that moment. And so, yeah, I think it's a very important topic. And I love that you are working in that area. 
Oh, good. Wonderful. Yes. For a long time, no one ever spoke about any form of mental illness, mental health, mental unwell being. Um, There's a stigma attached to it. That doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen in my family. That doesn't happen to smart people, strong people, um, you know, that. And of course it does. It happens in absolutely every single demographic, as well as abuse, which is what we really focus on. Mm -hmm. We um, focus on authentic health, helping others create authentic health so they can prevent and end all forms of abuse. Um, And so when I work with people, I find a lot of times the depression is obviously linked to other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Things that have happened in their past is something that I come across all the time. And so we work with that. And then we have, have them understand ownership and so they can have their authentic health and and work successfully past the things that are pulling them down into depression or any other form of um, struggle. Yeah. And, you know, words, right? The old adage, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not a true statement, really, is it? <laughs> no, no, not so much. Um, words do have meaning and words do have power. Um, and the power to heal, the power to hurt, the power to keep us where we might be kind of struggling and not seeing ourselves differently. That's one of the reasons why we try to not always use the word abuse. We use other words like harassment or bullying or neglect Mm -hmm. or mistreatment or unhealthy behavior, because um, so many people, myself included, Amy, that for years I was like, oh, that, well, you know, I don't know. Was that really abuse? Was it this? And obviously it was very clearly abuse. I came from childhood abuse by both my parents and domestic violence. Mm. Um, But the word abuse and the word victim were two things I absolutely refused somehow to believe that was happening in my own world. Um, So words are important because they can keep you from getting the help. So if someone says, well, I don't want to be a person who's depressed, um, they may, you know, it's okay. Use the word I'm blue. I'm down. I'm sad. I can't seem to get over this because sometimes just those words alone will keep us from really going out and getting the help that we need and deserve. That's a great point. I mean, oftentimes I know in Indian cultures, you hear the words depression. You're not depressed. Buck up. You know, what are you talking about? We don't get depressed. And, you know, if you categorize it, I'm down, I'm blue. That's that's a great way of putting it It, that way. People aren't because you're right. It is stigmatized certain words. Absolutely. And then other people don't know what to do with it. Um, They kind of look at you with shock, like, oh, okay. And so what I tell people, you know, we work in all different forms. So a lot of people who have been abused or mistreated, they end up trying to um, mask it by having addictions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the addictions don't work after a while or a long while, there are some people who believe the lie that suicide is the only way out of it. So we try to help people be able to use whatever language works for them to understand what it is. So a lot of people can't say I'm an addict. You know, that's not supposed to happen to me. I'm, I'm smart. I'm strong. I right? can handle it. I'm, yeah. I can handle it. Right. And there's a lot of different addictions from over and under overworking out. Right. People who uh, work out of the gym. I've, I've known people who have sacrificed their entire family because they became addicted to their sport and underworking out, sabotaging themselves. So there's lots of different forms of addiction. And a lot of them would say, I'm, I don't have a problem. I, I'm not addicted to something. I'm not masking anything because mm-hmm. they're so they're keeping themselves so busy or they just don't like the stigma of those words. So um, what I encourage people to do is when you do finally realize like you're depressed or something like that, when you're the person listening, you don't have to have the answers. You just have to say, hey, Amy, I really care about you. 
And um, I believe you. That's the number one thing. I believe you. I care about you. And let's go get you help. And then you help that person find a qualified person, a resource, um, a crisis center, an addiction center, something like that. Do you have suggestions of places that someone listening may go to? The first and foremost would be a trusted person, someone you absolutely trust. Don't try to go at it alone. That's one thing, especially in the field of abuse, is that that's what other people have done to you. They isolated you and they made you feel emotionally and physically alone. And so it's really, really scary. All the shame and blame is put on that person. And I think with addictions, that happens too. The shame and blame is put on the person. So find someone you really trust. Use the language that feels comfortable with you. If you don't want to say, I've been abused or I'm depressed, use those other words that that signify that and say, I I could just use some help. Ask for some help. Say, um, I I need to know some resources. And then honestly, I always feel like locally is better. If you can find a local, you can Google crisis center and then put in your hometown. If you can find someone local so you can see them, They can see you. It's that contact. It's that you're not alone. You do not have to face this alone versus just over the phone. But again, if you need that distance, right, and you don't want to make it that personal about sitting in front of somebody, call a crisis center, call addiction center, call a good friend that you don't have to look in their face. That's the hardest thing in the beginning is to look people in the eye and tell them that you're really struggling. So maybe you start with, um, you know, just telling them over the phone. That's a great suggestion. And guys, we'll we'll try we'll put some um resources that Abigail has shared on the show notes so you guys can definitely check that out. Now, Abigail, can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing right now? And how because it's not just locally. You are actually working almost on a national scale. Well, that's that is our goal. And I really love Europe. So I'm hoping eventually it's international. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I love to travel. So what we're doing is we help people build authentic health so they can spot, understand, recognize, prevent, end all forms of abuse. So right now um, we have a workshop that's coming up that's um, a positive approach to preventing sexual harassment and creating trust. We can fine tune that for any organization, um, any office, any corporate event, any community event to help people through navigate those um, forms of abuse. Again, from harassment to bullying in schools to domestic violence, Um, And really the core of it is understanding authentic health. When we can build your authentic health, that means no one can take your power and control. And in the world of abuse, that's the number one goal that every single person that's a perpetrator or a tormentor or an abuser, that's the only thing they really, really want is to take your power and control. So when people say, well, he had so much money, well, it doesn't matter. He didn't want the money. He wanted the power and control. When they say, well, why did she do that? Why did she hit her kids? Well, she wanted power and control. She didn't feel she had it. So she was going to go and take it from somebody else. So when we have our own authentic health, no one can ever take it from us. It's kind of like one of my favorite quotes from Eleanor Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. who says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. It's along those, those types of lines. It's very powerful. So can I ask why, why is it important to go into the workplace like you are, into the schools? It sounds like a lot of the stuff is, is happening in people's personal lives. 
Right. And the two, I feel, blend back and forth and they they intertwine, right? So you have people that go to work, they go home, and then all of a sudden they're a family person and then they're out walking the dog and now they're a community person, a neighbor person, mm-hmm. and then they go out to other organizations and now they're a volunteer. But it's the same person. So if we can help us understand our own past and um, how to develop trust and healthy boundary lines and develop authentic um, health then what we do is we can stop any kind of form of mistreatment in our own life. And then we're witnesses to other people and we can help them. We can watch out for each other. So one of the easiest ways I feel like to get the message out there is to go to the workforce. Most of us have to work. (laughs) Um, And so as adults, most of us work. And as kids, most of us go to school. So if we can get into the office environment and into the school environment, that means we're reaching kids when they're young. And they have an opportunity to learn these things. And we're also teaching adults so they can heal themselves. And hopefully also, if they're on the end of mistreating other people or abusing other people, that they can see where the stems from. Because no one is born thinking, oh, I'm going to be an abuser when I grow up. Things happen in lives, right? Yeah. So things happen in their life. And that is just their reaction. That's just the way they were either conditioned or groomed or gaslighting into becoming an abuser. And so I care about everybody. I don't want anybody to be in either camp abused or an abuser. So that's why we speak in those. We do private coaching, but those are the primary areas of concern that we go into as company and schools. So what you're saying, um, I just want to be clear is people who are abused can get help and people who abuse or are abusers can also get help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of my biggest things that took a long time. I did, um, I have a degree from two degrees from India University in communication. So we studied cognitive, social, and behavioral theories. I also did five years of research. I also spent $20,000 in therapy modalities, including, you know, talk, therapy, as well as some other alternatives, because I had such bad post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. from the domestic violence. And um, what I learned was you really have to, for me to move on. And I found that I was moving on very quickly, very successfully, um, able to talk about things that other people in my circumstances can't even begin to talk about, let alone go out and build programs to help other people, right? Um, And it was all about understanding the codes and the cycles and being able to forgive the people who have done this to you, being able to understand why they did it and how you were just kind of in the way and that they will find people who are easier targets. And that's why I want to help everyone build their own authentic health. Because if you're, if you are really strong, no one can take it from you. You're not going to be a target to anybody. And there's some studies done that a lot of the a high percentage of people in prison mm-hmm. have reported having been abused. So I think it's as high as one in six wow. that reported it. Yeah. No, so think about it. I never reported my abuse. I never reported it until I was an adult with children of my own, right? My childhood abuse that I suffered from. So if you're in jail, I mean, it's this bad cycle. So you, you're being abused, You go out and you start doing drugs again to mask it, right? You start selling drugs, Mm -hmm. you get caught, and now you're thrown in jail, right? What what kind of life does that person have? We have to help them. I want to help them. And so that's actually, um, I want to go back to something you said just a bit ago about how all the organizations, your work life, your community life, the personal life, everything's kind of intertwined. And so if someone is abused or is an abuser... Is it safe to say that that 
those characteristics or um, it could be prevalent in different environments, including the workplace, including schools? Well, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I just had someone, I went to a networking event Mm -hmm. and a person came up and and I love when people ask honest questions. That's one of our big things is being transparent, right? Sure. And so he said, you know, I just have to ask you, isn't this a poor person's issue? Isn't this a socioeconomic issue? Mm. And I said, you know, thank you so much for saying that because that's a a very common misconception. There you go. Um, Yep. And it happens literally in all demographics. I mean, I came from a very wealthy area of the North Shore of Chicago, and that money was not an issue. Um, But both of my parents were abusive in different formats, but it happens everywhere. So if we can open people's eyes to it so they can see it, it always starts really small. And it's like a testing, they're testing the waters. So if we can help people see where it's starting small and teach them the skill set on how to stop it, and we can do that with firmness, but kindness and respect, right? Um, But with clarity that you're, that doesn't work here. (laughs) That that's not happening, right? Um, And then asking the person, are you okay? Yeah. And that's how like literally bullying starts is someone just feels on the outside circle and they're going to take power and control, even if it's a little kid on a playground or if it's a boss at an office. So uh, I'm glad you kind of went to bullying for a second because I've seen it in social media a lot. I've seen it with people hiding behind their usernames and whatnot. And I've, I've seen it in different forms, right? The outright bullying. And then I've seen um, bullying where it kind of seems like the person doesn't realize what they're doing is bullying. Is that possible? where you could be a a bully or an abuser and not realize that that's what you're doing? I know it's kind of hard to believe, but I want to say, um, I want to say yes, but I do think we all behave in ways that gives us something. Mm -hmm. It helps keeping those core beliefs that we have about ourselves, those lies, those misconceptions that we have that were woven into us. I have a theory called purple threads. And, um, so it helps build that. Like if a kid is supposed to be the tough guy, right? Yeah. Mom and dad, you're the tough kid. You're the tough kid. So he goes to school. He wasn't really taught how to be empathetic and kind and sensitive. And maybe he was getting thrown around at home. And so he goes to school and the only language he knows is how to be a bully. Right. And then that's what he's seen. That's what he knows. That's what he's been mentored. Or he did it once and it worked. It kept someone else away, kept someone else from asking questions. So it just kept getting reinforced in that kid. It gets reinforced in someone in their adulthood. It serves us. Our behavior serves us in one way, sometimes positively, and often it serves us negatively. Um, That's kind of that over overeating. You know what I mean? Like, there are many people in the abused world who have used weight to keep people away. So if I'm heavy, I'm overweight, I'm not attractive. And therefore, men don't find me attractive. They don't come after me. I'm less of a target. There are many, many people I've worked with who have um, come to that realization when we're working together, like, that's why I that's why I'm this way, isn't it? And they almost instantly start losing the weight because they don't, they know they don't need that for the protection because now they have other proactive things. They have verbal skills. They can tell people, they can recognize the warning signs and then they know how to respond and act versus having to hide in the world of behind this image, either like an image of a bully or the image of someone who's overweight. And so you're not therefore socially, you know, um, attractive to other people as much as someone that is that person is when they're thinner, I guess. Wow. I mean, this is all so 
intense because it, it, it's so important. And there's just, I, I feel like we're only hitting the surface of this. Yes. And I think we're probably bouncing around quite a bit, but that's kind of sometimes how my brain is. And I love what, you know, how you can do that, Amy, and like you're having this conversation, you're bouncing around. It's lovely, but, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, if, so we came up with a definition, um, and it's basically, I, I'll just use the word abuse. So if anybody out there doesn't like the word abuse, just substitute it for mistreatment or, um, harmful people or an abuser or harasser. So it's repeated mistreatment where one person uses manipulations to gain and maintain power and control over another person. The reason why abuse is so hard to see is it's so complicated. It twists, it turns. But if we can simplify it, it's so easy to spot. So the first part of that definition is repeated mistreatment. Mm. That's all you have to look for. Is it more than once? Is there a pattern here? Is there a cycle here? Now, those can get really complex, but they start small, they grow big. And then when you start calling them out on it, they go back to being small and then kind of medium, then small, then big. They'll keep testing the waters and almost like it's wearing you down. And there's five big forms of abuse that we talk about. There is the psychological, there's verbal, there's physical, there's sexual, and there's financial. So what you want to watch is there's that mistreatment in any one of those five, it can bounce around one day, maybe it's financially, one day, maybe it's verbally, one day, maybe it's physical aggressiveness, and then it can change in intensities. But if you just look at it, it's one person who tries to isolate another person to take their power and control. And they do it repeatedly, but in different ways. That's where it gets tricky. And people are like, well, I've heard people what I've worked with, they say, well, um, my husband, he was physically abusive, but he was never sexually abusive. And sexually abusive is real abuse. I mean, all he did was hit me a couple times. And that's where I have to say, you know, okay, let's stop. Like both of those are abusive, right? You know, and then help them get past some of those, the language. And then realize like, you know, how often was it? Well, that's, that's repeated. That's abuse. Can you describe I, of those types? I, I'm familiar with or I think I'm familiar with most of them, except financial. How does that work? Sure. Financial abuse is, um, again, power and control. So you want to look to see if it's more than once, repeated mistreatment. You want to see if they're using money for power and control. So are they saying, you know, like, I'm going to take over the checkbook, like a couple, okay? Mm. okay. Um, I'm taking over the checkbook. You have to get authorization for me in order to buy something. Um, another financial abuse is the one that I experienced in my marriage was that I was the one w that was making the money and always having the job. And there was constant, beautiful lies coming, coming <laughs> these perfectly rational stories that were being told to me that were actually all lies. Oh, well, you wouldn't understand, you know, I put the money over here and then I moved it over here, but actually he was taking the money and gambling. Um, wow. so every single time there was a hit, it was because, well, there was some fabricated story, but it was said with such sincerity and it was always moving around hard to understand. And so that's another form of financial abuse like that, where you're lying and you're taking it and you're using it in a way that's not authentic and truthful. Now, before we go further, cause I, I said, I'm familiar with the other ones in case anyone else isn't familiar. Can you talk a little bit about each of those? Oh, sure. Types? Good question. 
So psychological, um, to make things easier, I always try to break it down into my own language so that I think other people can understand. So there's kind of emotional and psychological, and that's one form of abuse. So to me, the difference between that is emotional abuse. So let's say, Amy, I said to you, I'm just totally making this up. Okay. This is not truth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Major disclaimer here, right? Because like, I don't even like saying them as examples, but I think right. it'll help. So emotional would be where I would say, Amy, you are stupid. You are dumb. Um, you're not clever. You can't figure things out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm emotionally abusive to you and I keep doing that in other ways. Right. And I keep, I keep repeating it to you. So I'm doing it to you. So that's emotional abuse. Now, to me, the difference of psychological abuse is when you start saying, I am dumb. I can't figure things out. I've woven my lie into you so much that you believe it is truth. Wow. So that's where it's the difference between to me, um, emotional and psychological where psychologically you actually really take it on and you believe it you're, I'm dumb. I, of course I can't figure out how to, you know, hook up my new phone or whatever, because I'm just not smarted that way. It's the success well, of the power and control. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way of wording it. And then verbal is the things that you say to somebody, um, verbally abusive to somebody, obviously very, very negative things that you can tell somebody. Um, it can be yelling at them. It can be screaming at them. It can be very soft backhanded compliments. Um, you know, well, you're pretty for a fat girl. You know, it can be, um, just, it's yeah. <laughs> De definitely these backhanded compliments where you're like, uh, you're oh, like, oh, wait, wait what? a minute. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there again, to take power and control, to diminish your light, to not let you shine, to put you down. And I have a whole thing on limited statements or limited beliefs. Like there's a limited quantity out there. So like, if you're pretty, that means you took it from me. Mm -hmm. And it's a very hard concept for people who don't think like that. But that's really how some people think. So they'll criticize you for whatever it is. Usually they're lacking in themselves or they perceive that they're lacking in themselves. That's what they attack you for or criticize you for or verbally put you down for. Um, so there's one. Physical is another one. So I've worked with schools on coaching, um, coaches who bullied. And so physical can also be intimidation. It can be, for example, sexual harassment, sitting on the desk right in front of the person, um, legs kind of spread open, you know what I mean? Invading somebody's space, repeated touch, unwanted touch. It can also be taking, it can be physical intimidation of like, for example, taking the pencil out of your hand and breaking it, taking the glass out of your hand and um, throwing it across the room and smashing it. It can be spitting. It can be any of those forms. That's, that's a physical abuse. And then sexual abuse, I think we pretty much all know uh, molesting a child is sexual abuse. And I think pretty much people can understand sexual abuse. And then financial, we went over. Well, I appreciate that because I, I didn't want to assume someone else may not have understand, guys. There's so many different forms, even if you don't know the name of it. I hope that the example she gave provides you some clarity as to how it could be categorized. Right. And the key is you don't necessarily have to be able to say, oh, well, that's this and that, right. you know, this is mm -hmm. sexual, this is whatever. It is just, is this repeated mistreatment? Is this person treating me with honor and respect and kindness? Or is this person mistreating me? You don't even have to have the answers because it can seem very confusing. So if you go to a trusted friend, you go to a counselor, you go to a therapist, you go to someone like me, we can help you piece it together because it's really clear from the outside perspective. 
Uh, the better the manipulator, the harder it is to see, but that's why you go to talented people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start, you know, write it down in a journal, put it down on paper because your brain doesn't want to really believe that your neighbor, your partner, your boss, your friend, your coworker, your child, that they're really that awful. I must be exaggerating. I must be making it up. So if you keep it in the journal, that's a safe place. Um, it's going to be really helpful to see and date it, date the entries and just put them in there. And you'll start seeing that it is if it's and it's that easy. Is it loving, respectful, kind, integrity? Is it treating me well? Or is it mistreatment? And so we've we've kind of talked about the types of what can someone do to kind of, I, I don't want to say it's preventative, but strengthen themselves. Sure. Sure. Well, absolutely. It's preventative. I think, um, I now see things that I never could have seen before. I didn't know. And that's why I did such, such intense research. Um, it was really difficult and it does take work. And that's what I want to tell people. You can't just bury your head in the sand because then you're going to have this forever. So be interested, start conversations, listen to things like this, read some books, read some blogs, um, developing yourself. So when you can see the red flags and you know what they are, and then you've been trained with a skill set on how to stop them, then it's easy to prevent this. You can see it coming, you step out of the way. So we talk about um, when you make a promise to yourself and to us, a true self, the best self that we can all be is secure, ethical, loving and fearless. And when you have all of that, you know that you deserve that. That's what you have. That's what you give. That's what you deserve. And when you learn the skill sets of how to tell people kindly and firmly that that's not okay, how to physically protect yourself, how to emotionally protect yourself, how to set up your healthy boundary lines and preventing someone from maneuvering their way in. So one of the things I like to say is that our value and our worth is based on our internal measurement versus an external judgment. And that's all part of that authentic health. If I really know who I am and the value that I bring, it doesn't matter. For example, like when I said that about you, like not smart and all of that, you can say, I know that I'm smart. And so that external judgment, it's, it's, it's nullified. Ridiculous. It's just nullified. Like, just yeah, like, no. it just, yeah. Water off a duck's back. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you know your value and your worth based on your internal measurement, You have authentic health and I can't manipulate you. I can't continuously mistreat you and then go, oh, come on, take a joke. Yeah, it's almost like you're saying don't give them the power. Don't allow them to lay their hand upon you, so to speak. Yes. Hmm. Yes. And so, for example, lay a hand on you in the business setting when someone is overly touchy or overly in their space. I like to tell people, say, you know what? I can think better when we have a little more room. Let's move over to the conference room. Or um, I've had it where I'm sitting and you're doing a a coffee meeting at Starbucks or someplace and the other person's getting really excited. They're moving over the table and they're totally invading my space and it's making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I can say, you know, I'm really glad you're enthusiastic about this, but I would prefer a little bit more space. And I can even put my hands up like you're telling someone to stop. Right. Right. So if I were to tell you to stop, you would know from across the room that person over there is saying stop back up Um, in a business setting. um, You could say we've used this one before where someone's really huggy and you're not. Um, You can say I prefer a handshake and you're you're establishing your healthy boundary lines. And guys, these are all okay things to do. 
Not not everyone is friendly. Not everyone is a hugger. Not everyone appreciates people in their space. It's okay. It's actually polite. I agree with you. It's okay. And it's actually polite and respectful. So um, I am a hugger. So I have to really try to <laughs> try to think about it and tell people, you know, like, oh, do you do you, would you like a hug versus can I hug you is me coming at you, which is the respectful right. thing is, would you like a hug? Right. You know, you know, are you a hugger or it's so nice to meet you and you can kind of put your arms out or like a handshake or like, hey, you know, are you a hugger? And then a lot of times people say, oh, I want a hug. And I say, oh, good. Me too. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be really awkward, um, but it's a sign of respect. It's also not personal if they say they're not a hugger, guys. It's it's not because of you. So, mm-hmm. you know, all, that's the other thing. Don't take that personally as an affront to you and who you are because they said no to something. Exactly. And that's part of going back to that authentic health. That if I know I'm all good and you, quote unquote, reject my hug. Right. It's okay. It's That's your thing. It's not mine. That's okay. And there must be a reason for it. And then no to self. I, I wouldn't do that again. I, w- I wouldn't presume or ask you to hug again. Um, I've had a dear friend that I've known for a gazillion years. She knows I'm a hugger. I know that she's not. So I respect that, right? So I don't have to hug her to be her friend. So we don't hug. And years later, she all of a sudden one day said, looked at, she said, can I come over? And I said, absolutely. She said, I really, I need a hug. And I said, are you sure? Aww. And she goes, yes, I really need a hug. And so I gave her a hug and she just grew up in a family that they didn't hug and a hug um, meant physical harm. Mm. So why would I take it personally? I understand that. I felt the same way growing up. If I got near my parents and they tried to hug me, physical harm was happening. Right. Right. So I learned to hug for my best friend's mom. Every time I went down the street to visit, she came running to the door and gave me a huge hug. And I learned to love hugs that because it was safe for someone I trusted. And so consequently, that's how I've raised my kids. Literally, we know when the garage door is going up and the family rule, not like it's a bite, like a rule, but we run to the door to hug each other because we're happy the other person's home. We're, we're glad to see them. This is our safe haven. This is our place of safety and trust and where we can just be ourselves and we're delighted to be with one another. And and I have that at my house, you know, when I see my parents or family comes over, we're a family of huggers and, and we do that. Um, but I am mindful that not everyone, you know, if I go to a conference and I just meet people, I don't necessarily hug them initially, guys. It's just. Yeah. Because I don't know who they are or what they are, because there are people who aren't huggers. So I'll do the handshake, the high five, the fist bump until I figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I agree. I agree. And you're right. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. It's all about respect. I want to be respected. And I absolutely want to respect you. The work you're doing and the information and knowledge you're spreading seems to not to, I, I think it's very important, but I think it also goes to, like you said, the more the you going into the work field, the community and kind of spreading that knowledge has an impact on the personal family life. And that would then kind of carry down to the generations that come after them, right? I mean, you, the work you're doing is so important that I think that it kind of continues and has a ripple effect. Yes. Right. And so yes. for you to go internationally, if, if, when, not if, when you go internationally <laughs> with this, you know, I think it's so cool and needed because I think it just helps make the world a better place, honestly. Yes. And I just want to thank you for what you're doing because you know, I never knew how important this was. 
it was never talked about. Like I said, and you know, you talked earlier how somebody asked, isn't this a poor person's issue? Well, for me, the question was, well, isn't this for a non-Indian? Like, why are we talking about this? This isn't, Indians don't get this. And that's not true. And so I think I do hope and can't wait to see when you get international, because I think, you know, it does need to be talked about in different cultures, races, nationalities, countries, everywhere. So I'm very excited for what you're doing and wish you all the best, Abigail. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for the what you're doing. I really appreciate you having me on and sharing the knowledge you have and letting me tell a little bit more about what I'm doing. So guys, that was Abigail Manning. I hope you guys learned something from our conversation. It's an important topic and it's important to realize that this isn't something that any one person is exempt from. It It is everywhere. It's in all cultures. It's all in all genders. It's in all economic statuses. Okay. So this can affect anyone. So keep that in mind. Okay. You guys can learn more about what Abigail is doing and some more of the show notes for what we talked about over on the show notes page at amyj21.com slash episode 141. That's episode 141. All right, Dream Chasers, until next time, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.